you would please, and open them to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. One thing that we do in Berean Baptist Church is we use our Bibles. We believe in lifting up the Word of God, so we're always going to be reading Scripture and using Scripture throughout the message. And our study of Matthew's Gospel today, we have some very familiar verses from the Sermon on the Mount And this sermon has many familiar parts so that there are many people who quote things that come from the Sermon on the Mount and they don't even realize that they're taking their quotations from the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Many of you know that little children's song, This Little Light of Mine, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine, Let It Shine, Let It Shine. Well, that little song takes its theme from the verses that we're going to read today. And when you come to that part that says, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Well, that comes from verse number 15 of this text. The theme of these verses, verses 14 through 16, along with verse number 13, is that Christians are to make a difference in the world. God has saved us and he's left us here for a purpose. In fact, I think we can say it's for one purpose and that we are, that is, we are to be salt and light in this world. We are to affect the culture that's around us. And if we fail to do that, then we haven't lived to the purpose that God wants us to do in the world. Now, I'd like you to stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. The main subject today comes from verses 14 through 16, but I want us to back up and read verse number 13 because these verses go together. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house." Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those who are here to worship you today, to hear the word preached. We just ask you, Lord, to open this text before us and may we receive a blessing from us that you would have us to have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. These four verses that we've read this morning are a type of parable that's called a similitude. A similitude is simply a comparison between two things. It's when you say that something is like another thing. Uh, Two things may be different, but they have characteristics that are alike. And here Jesus is telling his disciples that you are like something. He says, you are like salt and you are like light. Now, last week we looked at salt, and I explained to you how that Jesus used this very valuable uh, commodity of salt to teach the disciples how they were to have an effect on the people of the world. Now, he just finished uh, the Beatitudes, which was the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, and he was telling the people about the different types of characteristics that are the part of a Christian's life, a person who is a part of his kingdom. And he talks about righteousness there. He talks about uh, Christians have pure hearts. They're characterized by those who understand their spiritual poverty before God without Christ. These are meek people. They are merciful people. They're people who seek to make peace between man and God and man to man by giving people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says that they are so different from the world that that difference causes persecution. Uh, 
They're maligned for their faith. They're, when they stand up for what's right, when people see the difference between their lives and a Christian's lives, the, the Christian exposes the underbelly of the wickedness of this world. So Jesus told the people that they were to be salt. He said to the disciples, you are to be a flavoring in this world. There's to be something different about you. You should have a life that's lived in purity. There should be no hypocrisy in your life. You're to live a life that is a good testimony and not to look like those who are in the world around you. Now, salt is uh, painful. We talked about that. Sometimes salt is poured into a wound to ward off infection. Salt in an open wound is very painful. And Christians, by their lives, by the purity of the lives, are just like gouging a sinful wound. We remind the world, the people of the world, of their impurities. And that contrast is very irritating to those who don't like to have their sin exposed. But probably the most important thing that Jesus was trying to get across to us about being salt in the world is that salt is used as a preservative. It was used to preserve meat and keep it from spoiling. And so Jesus says that a Christian life is one who is to be a preservative in this world. Now, people who think that Christians are enemies of them, that the worst enemies they can know, are actually mistaken because Christians, even though we may have a different faith and a different idea of the people in the world, yet actually we're the best friends that the world could ever have. I mean, could you imagine living in a world where there were no Christians anywhere? Uh, what if there were no Christians in the world that just balanced out the wickedness of this world and retarded some of the world's corruption that we see? I mean, just think what it would be like if Islam ruled this world. I mean, how would you like to live in an America where there was either godless communism or there was the false god of Islam? I mean, what's happened in cultures that are ruled that way? And what happens to people when they only have that kind of an influence? So Christians really are the best friends that the world could ever have. And so that's one similitude that Jesus gave. He said, you're like salt. He says, salt retards decay and corruption, and you're to be like that. But now Jesus goes on from that because it's not enough for Christians just to hold back corruption, but we also have to have the kind of influence in our lives that will change in that corruption into incorruption. Now, salt is the more of the passive side of this, and by that I mean that it's not, it's not advancing. It's something that uh, lives, uh, it's a lifestyle that you live out, and other people see the lifestyle. It's an influence of your character. Light is complementary to salt, because this is something that does go outwardly. It communicates something, and the communication is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the gospel of Christ that is the very thing that changes corruption into incorruption. So now we turn our attention to the next part of this similitude. Verse number 14, Jesus says, Ye are the light of the world. When I was a youngster living in Kentucky, one of the favorite things that I did was to go to the Mammoth Cave National Park. Mammoth Cave is located in the south-central part of Kentucky, and it's the longest cave system in the world. And they tell us that even after all these many years of discovery of Mammoth Cave and all the quarters and passages that are there, that they really don't know how far this cave extends. They've mapped, I think, over 300 miles in Mammoth Cave, and they don't even really know how far it actually might extend. 
But we would take that trip and we would go to Mammoth Cave. And one of the things that they would do is they would take you down deep inside of the cave. And you'd go around all of these twisting and winding corridors until the cave opened up into a huge room. And there were benches in that room. And the park ranger would say to everyone, I'd like you to sit down here and I want you to cover up everything that you have that's luminescent. Anything that you have that is a light source, I want you to cover that up. And then he would say, we're going to turn out the lights. And they would shut out the lights and you would sit there and you were in total darkness. The ranger would say, now hold your hand up in front of your face and wave it around. Do you see your hand? And you couldn't see anything. It was so black that you couldn't see a thing there. Now, most of you know that when you go into a darkened room, at first you can't see anything. You sit there for a while, though, and your eyes start to get used to the dark. Your pupils dilate to their fullest extent, and finally you can see enough that you can find your way to get around. But in this cave, it was so dark, there was no light there, that you could stay there for hours and hours and hours, and no matter how long that you stayed there, you could never see anything. The darkness was so thick, it was almost like you could just feel it. And and it would be impossible for you to find your way out of that cave if you didn't have light. Now, this is exactly what Jesus means when he tells his disciples, he says, you are the light of the world. The spiritual darkness that people live in is so thick, it is so dark, that no matter how long that we live in this world, we'll never be able to get out of that spiritual darkness. Now, last week, what we were talking about, the depravity of man, that's what that's all about. Man is so darkened, so depraved in his wickedness, he is so blackened by sin that he'll never find his way out of it unless there is a source of light that shines from the outside in. Now, the very first thing that God created when he created the world was light. And that was so that we would be able to see this universe, the physical world that's around us, And unless God should give us spiritual light, we'll remain in spiritual darkness forever. Now, let's talk about light for the next few minutes and what Jesus really means when he says to us, ye are the light of the world. Now, first, we want to talk about the illumination of Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of the world. Of life. Now, throughout the scriptures, God is always associated with light, and evil is always depicted as darkness. Light means illumination, it's something that gives a visual sensation. Now, when the Bible speaks about light in the spiritual sense, it's something that always illuminates truth. It's it's something that's always able to lead us out of the darkness of sin. It's really the visualization of the way out of our sinful condition. And so when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, he means that he is the one who reveals the way to God. In John chapter 1, verse 9, it speaks of Jesus there, and it says, "...that was the true light which lighteth every man that comes into the world." And then it goes on in that 18th verse that we read a few minutes ago. No one hath seen God. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. No man, Scripture says, has seen God. Why is that? What does that mean? Well, all men are in darkness. And the only way that we can see God is through the person of Jesus Christ. 
And so Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, came into this world, and he was the visual representation of God. He was the illumination of the Father. So that Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So the only way that we can get to the Father, the only way to get out of that darkness of sin, to see the way clear, is to come through Jesus Christ. Now, on many occasions, I've told you that Jesus cannot be one of the ways that you get to the Father. He has to be the only way, because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he said, no one comes to the Father but by me. And so if there are other ways that people can get to heaven, if there are other ways that you could see God, then Jesus didn't tell the truth. And if Jesus didn't tell the truth, then he couldn't be light, because that's what light is. It's the revelation of truth. Now, what that does then is it makes Christianity an exclusive religion. We can't give anyone else any hope for salvation. We can't tell other people that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, that you can get to God. The only way to get to him is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we can't tell any other stories. We can't propose any other theories. Jesus is the only way to get to God. He is the only light that will lead men out of their darkness of sin. Now, I want to give you three properties of light that are found in Jesus. First, he is an attracting light. And when I think about that cave experience, when the ranger shut out the lights, he waited about ten minutes or so, and then he took out this little pin light, just a very small light, and he turned that light on. And there in that thick darkness in that huge room that was dark all around, of all of these people that were sitting there in that darkness, just as soon as he turned on that little pin light, every eye in that room focused on that little light. Now, that's the way Jesus is. He is so outstanding in this world of darkness that when Jesus is lifted up, when he shines out, all attention goes to him. Jesus said in John 12, verse 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And what Jesus was speaking of there was the death on the cross. He said, if I be lifted up on that cross, that instrument of death, that will be the means of attracting all those who will believe in me. And so the cross is that light. It's the light that leads men to salvation. And once again, there is no other way that we we can be brought to the Father except through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the means by which we come to him. But then we also see that Jesus is an exposing light. Whenever the light shines in the darkness, what does it do? Well, it reveals things that are hidden. In John 3, verse 20, Jesus said, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Now, one of the things that darkness does is it covers up sin. And when the light of Jesus shines in, that sin is exposed. Now, think about all the dark places that you know. Uh, Nightclubs, for instance, they're, they're very dark. They turn the lights down low. And what happens if you turn up the lights there? Well, you see all the corruption. You see all the sin that goes on. You see all the bugs that are scrambling to get away from the light. You know, I I used to know a preacher that would go and preach in bars. I mean, he would pick the worst joint in town, and he would go there, and he would walk into this bar with all of these people there, and fearlessly, he would just take his fist, and he would pound on the bar, and he'd say, can I have your attention, please? 
And then he would begin to preach the gospel of Christ to those people. Now, it didn't take very long before people caught on to what was going on. As soon as their sins were being exposed by the gospel of Christ being preached, they didn't like it. And so he didn't last very long. He was shown to the door, but he got the message out. Now, folks, that is what the gospel is designed to do. It's designed to illuminate our sins. It exposes it so that we learn there's something that needs to be done about this. And what the gospel does, it tells people, it shows them that they're on their way to the pit of hell. And unless they repent of their sins, and unless they come to Christ, there will never be anything but blackness and darkness and torment forever. And so Jesus is that exposing light that brings to light the sins of the world. Then we also see that he is a guiding light. He's a light that shows the way. Now, down in Mammoth Cave, they had electric lights, and that helped you to see the way. But there was one thing that a ranger always had with him. He always had his trusty flashlight. If those electric lights were ever to go out, he always had the flashlight because there was no way that you were getting out of that cave unless you have a light to guide you out. The psalmist said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's Word, and I remind you again that Jesus is the living Word. God's Word is the light to follow. Now, we have to be very careful about this because the Bible also tells us that Satan is able to transform himself into an angel of light. Why does he do that? Well, he is deceitful. And what Satan seeks to do, he seeks to appear as God. He wants to lead people off in the wrong direction. And so whenever we hear things that are told to us from any pulpit, from anybody who's preaching, anything that you hear on the radio, when it comes in a religious sense, the thing that you need to do is to weigh that thing by the Word of God, determine, is this something that matches God's Word? Does it magnify Jesus Christ? And if it doesn't, that is a deceitful light. It's not a light for you to follow. It's not a guiding light. Now that sort of sets the stage for what follows. Jesus is the light of the world. But now he says to the disciples, you are the light of the world. He says that you're to be lights as well. Now, we're not originating lights. We're not self-generating lights. But rather, we are a reflective light. Just like the moon reflects the rays of the sun. So a Christian is to reflect the light of the Son of God in his life. But there's a problem with many Christians And that is, instead of being illumination, as Christ is illumination, there's very often a contradiction in the lives of Christians. Let's talk about that, the contradiction of Christians. Now, these two similitudes, ye are the salt of the earth, ye are the light of the world, follow very closely on the last beatitude. Jesus said in that very last one, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What do you suppose would be the temptation of people who are headed for persecution. When persecution starts to come, what would be our temptation to do? And what would the disciples do? Well, they would most naturally seek a way to end that persecution. And so the tendency would be to go underground, to protect yourself. I mean, nobody likes to be the scorn of the world. Nobody likes to be made fun of. You don't want to lose the relationship that you have with your friends or possibly even with your family. And so what many Christians do when persecution comes, when there's difficulty, then they start to hide their light. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, have you ever been in a place where 
You really didn't want people to know that you were a Christian? All of us have experienced that. I mean, there are times when, quite frankly, if we're all going to admit it, we're embarrassed by the fact that we're Christians and we live a different way. And so what many people will do, many Christians, they become uncomfortable. And so they become very hesitant about letting the light shine. And I think, again, that all of us can identify with that. So Jesus knows that that is our tendency. And so he gives us here two contradictions. He says these are things that simply cannot go together. Just like salt that's lost its saltiness is no good for nothing. He's showing us here that a light that doesn't shine simply makes no sense. And so he gives us then two comparisons. The first one he gives is the city on a hill. Now in that second half of verse 14 he says, A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. If you ever have a chance to go to the Holy Land, I hope that you'll do what Gary and I were told to do before we went. We were instructed that before we go to visit there to read First and Second Samuel and read it over and over again. We were also told to read the book of Matthew. Now, we read First and Second Samuel because there are many places that are mentioned there in the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Israel. There were places mentioned, for instance, where uh, David went into the wilderness to hide out from Saul. And so we visited those kinds of places. But particularly, too, we were also told to read the book of Matthew because we were going into many different towns, especially in the area of Galilee where Jesus ministered to people. And if you had this verse on your mind, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, you would look around you and you'd very quickly see what Jesus was talking about. Now, in particular, when you're on the way to Galilee, you'll come across a city that all of you are familiar with by name, but what you may not know is that this city is built on a hill, built all across the hillsides, and that's the city of Nazareth. There are hundreds and hundreds of houses that are built on hillsides all across that city. It stands in a very prominent place on a hill. And as I've told you before, and we've studied before, it's so high on a hill that there's one place where they took Jesus that after he had preached in the synagogue, they hated him so bad, they wanted to throw him off this great high place that was there in Nazareth. So that was a, that's a city that's built all across the hillsides. Now what do you suppose that a traveler at night would see first as he traveled through the valleys of those areas of Galilee on those old footpaths? He's traveling at night and he doesn't know the way. What what is it that he sees that, that really causes his heart to rejoice? Well, he would see the city. He would see all the lights that are coming from the houses in the city. Now, they didn't have street lights like we have today and you wouldn't see stoplights and things like that that are shining. But they would see the lights that are coming out of the houses at night. So the city was visible and that's because it was built on a hill. And many times they would build cities on a hill because that was the easiest way to defend them. It was easier to see the enemy that's coming to attack. But that city on a hill, Jesus says, that's something that can't be hid. And so he compares that to your life. And he shows us that if Christ is in you, if he's truly in you, you can't really hide that. It's a contradiction to think that your life has been changed so radically, that something so different has happened to you, something that has changed your focus, that has changed your thinking, changed your entire attitude about how you live in this world. How could that possibly happen to you? And then you hide the fact. Jesus says that's a contradiction. It just doesn't work. A Christian is to be conspicuous. And so when 
people see you, they should be able to say, well, that must be a Christian. But you know it gets harder and harder all of the time? And that's because Christians have adopted the world that's around us. We've adopted the culture in which we live. And so when you talk to Christians, you really can't hear a difference in their voice. They say the same things that the lost people of the world say. They tell the same old dirty stories. They go to the same places that lost people go to. You know, my daughter was telling me not long ago that uh, she said that she had heard that the song leader in one of the Baptist churches in Kentucky was seen in the nightclubs every night. I've taken it upon myself to call Dalton at night just to check up and see where he is. But here, if you have these kinds of convictions, you, you ought to be conspicuous. People at your work ought to have no trouble telling that that person must be a Christian. You may remember this little illustration or story that I told you some time ago about G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan was a famous uh, preacher at the beginning of the 20th century, preached in England at the Westminster Chapel. And uh, he had one of his church members who came to him and said, Dr. Morgan, said, I've invited one of my co-workers to come to church with me. He said, I've been working with this person for five years. And when I asked him to come to church with me, he turned to me and said, you mean you're a Christian? He said, I'm a Christian too. He said, Dr. Morgan, what do you think about that? Now, these two men had been working together for five years. And so Dr. Morgan said, I don't think either one of you's ever been born again. How could you do that? How could you work side by side with someone for five years and neither one of you know the other is a Christian? Folks, that is a contradiction. And so he said, how can you work together for that long and not talk about this? You cannot hide a city that's set on a hill. You, it's just out there. It, it's a contradiction to our senses to say the city is sitting on a hill, but we can't see it. And so that's the first contradiction that Jesus gives. But he gives us another example. There's another one, and this is the candle in the house. He says, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now, there's something we need to understand when we see that word candle in the King James Version. They didn't have candles like we have today, not wax candles. At Christmas time, we have our candlelight service, and everybody gets a little wax candle, and you sit there, and you hold up your light so it shines. And we have these candelabras that are sitting on the side of the auditorium, and we put several candles in there in order to light the auditorium at night. But they didn't have candles like that in the time of Jesus. In the New Testament, they had something that was a little bit different. Now, we have a picture of that here today. Uh, this is one of their lamps, and what it is is just a little pottery lamp that's about three inches long. And they would fill this with oil, and it would have a floating wick that was in the center. Now, some of them were a little bit larger than this, especially if they needed one that was going to burn all night, that they would fill a little bit larger one. At my house... There is a street light that's right outside our house. And so when it gets nighttime and it's dark, that street light comes on. And you can still see because light will shine in through the window. But in the New Testament times, and those little bitty villages spread all over, they didn't have street lights. And so you had to have something in the house. And so they would take these little lamps and they would light those at night and they would burn all night just in case somebody had to get up in order to see their way. Now, what Jesus is telling us here is you don't light the lamp 
and then put it under a basket. You don't put a lamp over top or light or a basket over top of it to hide that lamp. I mean, what good is it going to do if it's hidden? When I get up at night and it's pitch black, the first thing I do is just like you do. I stub my toe on the edge of the bed and then I do that little dance that we all do because that hurts so bad. Third thing I do is turn on the light to inspect the damage. Now, the point here is that you don't prepare for all of that ahead of time by turning on a light and then putting something over top of the light so that you can't see it. It wouldn't make any sense. The best thing to do is to take the lamp in Jesus' time. This is what they would do. They would take the lamp and they would put it on a stand that was for that purpose and then the lamp would give light to everyone who was in the house who needed it. Now, folks, here is the thing for many Christians. We've got this light that's inside of us, and it should be shining out to all that are around us. But what we do is we cover that light up. See, we know somebody who needs to hear about Jesus, and we have all these opportunities that we can tell them about him. These people have all their problems, and they're stumbling around everywhere. They don't know which way to go. They don't know where their help will come from. They've got all these different kinds of issues, and here we are as the people of God, and we have the very thing that will help them. The very thing that, we, that they need, we have, but we have hidden up the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it cannot be seen. We've stuffed it away like a candle that's stuck under a bushel basket. It's just like unsavory salt. Christians that hide the light, are no good for this world. We're no good for the cause of Christ if we hide that gospel light under the bushel basket. But then Jesus goes on in verse number 16, and he says, you need to let that light shine. You need to let that light out so it does some good. So he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now you might want to underline good works there. See your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He says, let it shine out. So that brings us then to a third observation, and this is the radiation of Christians. Let it shine out. Now let's back up for just a minute and let's review something. What does the light represent? When the Bible talks about light, what's it talking about? Well, light is all of God's revelation. It's a revelation of the Father And that's the one whose presence we desire to be in. It's the Word of God. The Bible speaks of that as being our light to guide us. It's the revelation of Christ who, as Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And so all of that is what this illumination, the radiation of Christians is to show. Now, folks, we are the repositories of all that information. And quite frankly, we're the only ones that have it. It's just like when we talked about salt. If you're the, you're the only salt that God uses, he, he doesn't have anybody else. He, he doesn't have any other salt for the world. You're it. You're the Christian. You are it. And so we have to flavor this world and live our lives as testimonies for Christ. But we're also to be this light. Now, Jesus, again, was the visible light. But Jesus is not here. He's gone back to heaven. And so what he does, he shines from heaven... He shines out that light, and it should radiate from Christians who are reflectors of the light of Christ. Now, we're the only light that God will use to take the blinders off of this world that's in this terrible spiritual darkness. So what do we need to do? We need to radiate the light. Now, let me give you two ways that we can do this, and then we'll be through with the message today. Two ways that we radiate 
the light of Christ. First, we give the knowledge of Christ. And really, when we talk about light, that's exactly what we mean. We're speaking about knowledge. Obviously, we're not talking about physical light that people can see, like these lights are turned on here. We're speaking about the knowledge of Christ. It's the truth. It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's a different type of knowledge. I mean, there's all different kinds of knowledge that are in the world today. We live in an unprecedented time of knowledge. In the past 100 years, we've learned many, many different things about mechanical operations and so forth and things like that. In fact, they tell us that our knowledge of technology has increased more in the last 100 years than in all the history of the world combined. So we have all that kind of knowledge. As I was preparing this message, I was sitting there at my computer, and when I need to know something, I can just, with a few clicks of a mouse, I can find out just about anything that I know, want to know in just a few seconds. So you think about all of that knowledge that we've accumulated, all these mechanical things. Uh, we've, we've learned about physiology. We've learned more about the human body so that we can help people that are in need. Uh, we can save lives with what we've learned in medicine. And even that doesn't compare to what we knew 50 years ago. We've got knowledge of outer space. Just a week or two ago, we sent these astronauts into outer space, and they went up there and they repaired telescopes that we could peer deeper and deeper into the vast, limitless expanse of our universe. So we have all of that kind of knowledge. But we look at that knowledge, and we think, how has that improved man? I mean, how has that really given us knowledge that helps us in the most essential ways, the things that we really need to know the most. I mean, has it really improved us in the way that we treat one another? Has that kind of knowledge ever abolished the selfishness that exists in us? Does that knowledge rid the world of wars? Has it it enabled us to stamp out crime? Has that kind of knowledge ever done us that kind of good? I just have to read to you something that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote. He said, observe how we have multiplied our institutions and organizations. We have to give instruction now concerning things about which people were never instructed in the past. For instance, we now have to have marriage guidance classes. Up to this century, men and women were married without this expert advice, which now seems to be so essential. It all proclaims very eloquently that as regards the great momentous questions of how to live, how to avoid evil and sin and all that is base and unworthy, how to be clean and straight and pure and chaste and wholesome, there is gross darkness. You see, the most important things that people really need to know about, they don't know. How can they save their souls? They don't know about that. How can they be right with God? They don't know about that. They can't get that knowledge anywhere. They can't get that in night classes. I mean, you're not going to learn that at the university. He's not going to tell you how to get right with God there. Textbooks can't supply that kind of information. The only ones who have this information are those who radiate it through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death 
and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we start radiating the light of Christ by giving the gospel of Christ. No one else can do that, and no one else will do it. We're the only ones that God has to be the shining light. And if we are not shining for Christ, then we have defeated the purpose that God has left us for in this world. Now, finally then, as we think about how to radiate that light, we have to be an attractive light. I mean, we we can't win people to Christ by being a mean-spirited witness. And so we have to show people that we have care and concern for their souls. Well, how do we do that? Well, next, we radiate the light of Jesus Christ by giving the kindness of Christ. The kindness of Christ is expressed in verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Good works. And again, I said underline good works because this is the operative thing that we need. That is what will glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, there are many people that do good works, but they do it to draw attention to themselves. You ever notice that you read in the paper that there's a trumpet that's blown before every philanthropist donation? You ever notice that? I mean, we read about it because people want us to know that we're great philanthropists. Some time ago, a couple years, I don't know exactly how long, you may have read that Bill Gates gave $50 million to fight AIDS. And I, and I don't want to belittle his contributions. But do you know what $50 million represents to a $50 billion fortune? It represents one-tenth of one percent. One-tenth of one percent. Now, that means if you make $50,000, that's like you being the great philanthropist who gives $50. Now, why did they do such things as that? Is, that? is that for sacrifice? Well, that's certainly not a sacrifice, is it? Is it for humanity? What it really does, it glorifies man and not God. What we are to do is to light the world by giving gifts of kindness that put all of the spotlight on Jesus Christ. All the glory must go to him. Now, how do we do that? Well, we do it by letting people know that we are being kind to them because Christ has been so kind to us. We are simply returning the kindness that's been shown to us by Jesus Christ saving our souls. So what does Christ tell us to do? He says, light the world. Can you really light the world? Well, you're going to be surprised, but I'm going to tell you next, you can forget about lighting the world because you can't light the entire planet. So what does he mean? You you can't light the entire planet. What does he mean? He means to light your world. Light the world where you have a sphere of influence. And who is that? That's the people that you work with. It's the people you go to school with. It's the people that you see, uh, associate with. It's your neighbors and all of those kinds of people. Light the world where you have a sphere of influence. How do you do it? You start by giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You show them how they can be delivered from the darkness of sin. And along the way, what you do Contrary to what you read on bumper stickers, you practice intentional acts of kindness. There's somebody that you know how you can help. There's somebody who needs something. Of course, all lost people need the gospel of Christ. But you begin to radiate the kindness of Christ by just simply doing good things for other people. Who do you know that you can help? 
You see, those are the people that are in your world. And those are the ones that Jesus say that you are to light. Let your light so shine that everybody can see your good works and thereby glorify your Father which is in heaven. He deserves all the glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that we've read from the Scriptures today. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ who came into this world to give us the light of the gospel. And looking to him, we are led out of the darkness of sin. I ask you, Lord, that if there's here someone today that doesn't know you as Savior, that the light of the gospel would penetrate their heart and they would come to know you as Savior. Lord, we pray for Christians here today who have hidden the light of Christ. We've packed it away and put something over it so that the light of Christ doesn't shine. I just ask you that you'd help us to let that light shine, that we might be a good testimony for all to see, that by our lives and by our witness, we might bring others to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that your spirit is moving upon them, that you would help them to move to our area today in the back of our auditorium where they can meet with someone there who can help them through their spiritual decisions, where they can learn about baptism and learn about working for Christ, learn about church membership, or most importantly, of course, to learn about the salvation of their souls. Lord, bless in the invitation that we sing today. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.